Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked. A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I'm co-host Michelle Govea, joined by co-host Chris Wells. How's your day going, Chris? Hey, Michelle. It's going really well. I'm happy it's uh, the end of the week. I'll say that. How about you? How are you doing? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beginning of April, birds are out, weather's better. It's all signs point to a good weekend coming up. So yeah. yeah. Um, so cool. I'm glad. Um, so I wanted to chat with you today. I know this is not um we're not in the business of rehashing topics all the time, but I had been going back through and just just listening to some of the the podcasts that you were recorded before I had the pleasure of of joining you um regularly on these and the topic of talent in the insurance industry, specifically, I think underwriting. So there was a podcast you did with with Stephen Weiss a while back, uh, where where you were talking about um the the talent issue or concerns about keeping talent within the underwriting uh, role within insurance carriers stood out to me. And I was, hopefully you're, there's more to, to cover. I'd love to to chat about that and um, what you, what you took from that conversation and um, you know, what, what you may have learned subsequently since it became something that was on your radar after that. Yeah, that one, if I remember correctly, I think that's episode eight. So for those of you out there who are, want to go find that one i think it's number eight so it's a it's a little ways back um it's interesting that steven brought that up because i had i used to run this conference for actuaries <clears throat> and other you know uh, financial services professionals trying to like teach them python get them out of you know excel for everything um Interesting. I learned something new about you every time, Chris. Just pulling back the layers of the end. <laughs> learning how dumb and boring my hobbies are. Uh, anyway, so we're we're trying to help these folks, you know, get out of Excel because it's you know more scalable, um, better technologies for some of the things they were trying to solve. And so I, I got to be good friends with some folks who were pretty high up at the Society of Actuaries. And um, last time Society I ran, Society of Actuaries. Yeah, cool. yeah. I know a lot of actuaries. Um, <laughs> There's so many jokes I'd love to tell right now, but I won't. Um, so the last time I ran this conference was like right before, you know, COVID kicked off and everyone at the conference that was sort of, you know, at a manager level or above was just just lamenting the lack of talent pipeline on the actuary side. So mm -hmm. so I had sort of filed that away in the back of my head. And then when I was talking to Stephen, I was like, oh, my God goodness it's like top to bottom at insurance companies right now like the the shortage of knowledge worker talent seems to be um all throughout these industries and i think again i my memory is not the best but i think steven said it was a projection of something like a hundred thousand uh workers that the industry expects to be short over the next two to four years which is absolutely massive especially given you know employment numbers right now um so yeah, I I that that one really stood out to me too. Yeah, I think uh and and I, the the question that was posed or that comes to mind as a result of that, right, is um what can what can the insurance industry do to to attract more talent or retain the talent? Um 
And so the, the underwriting one is interesting because if, at one of the carriers that I worked with, um, they had a number of what I'll call um, development programs or leadership development programs that that uh-huh. were usually um, either rotational in nature or where you sat in and just kind of were, were trained uh, how to do a particular, whether it was product pricing or underwriting. So like underwriting development programs, things like that, where, where people would, would apply um, and go through a rigorous process to to learn the the job right but specifically with it with any of the the nuance or, or specialization that would occur for the underwriting that that carrier was doing um and so carriers are investing you know a lot of time yeah. uh, and effort into into training up this workforce and then you know unfortunately uh people churn out or they leave um, after, you know, going through, you know, six to 12 months of, of this investment in them. Um, And I, my own experience in um, joining an insurance carrier and working in the green screen for a long time uh, is that uh, the, the technology is just behind kind of where the, the generations are used to, to working. Yeah with. Um, and so I, I have to imagine that, that that's part of the the disconnect of, of wanting to stay engaged sometimes is that I, I've got the job, I understand the skill set, but this is so, feels so old school or so outdated that, that this can't be where, where the future is going, right? And so I, I wonder what you think about that. But that's, I always think back to those days of like, wow, I was fresh out of college and was, you know, working working on a green screen on two different screens like data entry things like that and um yeah yeah make, it makes you wonder how these big because i like to think of the insurance industry as a te- technology and data industry right like at the heart that that's what it's comprised of and so to think that that that's quote unquote the cutting edge of technology uh at these big companies is is tough yeah, uh, I have two thoughts on that. One, you're absolutely right. Like you train someone up, you give them, you know, a professional skill set, which is then very portable and you don't have to stay in insurance with that skill set. Because at the end of the day, a lot of what you're learning when you transition industries is just vocab. Um, yeah. So the yeah. skill set, you churn out, um, find a place that doesn't have green screens and do a very similar job. The The other side of it is like, you know, if I'm, 22 or 24 if i come out with a master's in computer science and i want to get a a job as a developer no one the word uh you know the word sexy and insurance never in the same sentence right so if you're that age you want to get a really good technology job you're probably not thinking insurance first um and so you, you really put yourself in a double bind both on like you know the back office worker who has to interact with your systems and also you know where do you find the talent who could update and upgrade and and make better those systems. And um, another issue that I've seen is that folks who engineering managers at insurance companies typically have been at those insurance companies for a very long time. And so even like, unless they're really sharp and really driven, um, just staying up to date on what's the latest way of thinking about software architectures and systems and all of that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a struggle. Well, and and this is a, probably a whole different topic for another day, but but you you raised that point of just duration, like you know, longevity at a company, and that's just not as common as as it used to be, right? Like you you'd get into a company and people would have been working there for 15, 20, 25 years, yeah. and 
um, in, in a lot of cases now you see people uh, leaving companies, you know, every, I'll, I'll call a broad range of like three to eight years. Right. And yeah. there's, there, there's, there's pros and cons to both of that. To, to your point, if you're locked into a single company for all that time, you become an expert in how that company conducts its business and you understand the ins and outs and you probably really knowledgeable about the, the product, the folks in the organization. Um, but if you come from various organizations, you've got that that breadth of, of knowledge of, of that exposure of, of how different companies do it. And that probably generates a lot of innovative thinking or, you know, uh, better problem solving in, in the sense that, that you can bring those experiences with you. Um, but, and, but yeah, finish your thoughts. No, I was going to say, it's just, it, it's, it's a challenge. I think one to keep the talent in-house in the company that you work for, but then as an industry too, you take some of those things to your point, you say, Hey, I was working in this technology in the, in the insurance space, but it, I can port that over to this really exciting new industry or different industry that's exploding. Right. Um, and so that's a challenge, both, both sides are a challenge. Absolutely. And I, a lot of industries have, uh, sort of tribal cultures. Uh, none of them mm -hmm. is quite like insurance in my experience and financial services more broadly, where it's like, how can we bring this developer in? They don't know anything about insurance. And it's like, well, they don't, they don't exactly have to, they have to know how to code really well and architect scalable systems. It's you, the business's job to make sure that they know what the mission critical things are. Um, mm -hmm. it's not their job to know. Everyone needs to speak a common language, but like you both have to come towards the center to make um, to make those things work. And so you have folks, um, you know, leading these teams. They're very conservative. One of the you talked about that sort of cross pollination of ideas. One of the one of the best and toughest things about working at a startup is that the average longevity of an employee to startup is something like 18 months, 18 months to two yeah. years. Right? And so while that makes it tough to like, you know, you're backfilling and training people all the time, it also means ideas are flowing and everyone's like sort of constantly up on what's the latest and greatest. And um, not that you can't still build bad systems that way, but it's it's a lot easier not to, for sure. Well, I think that, you know, when you think about startups and and the innovation and the the differentiation they bring is I'll speak specifically to the insurance industry and that's where I'm focused. Yeah. Um that's really appealing, right? Because that there, you know, within the insurance carrier, there's also always this build versus buy decision that's got to be made, right? And uh, the 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 build part uh is usually a challenge because of the, the amount of time it takes. And like once you're locked into doing it, it's hard to to pivot or change the direction. Whereas on a startup, that, that's probably just constantly happening just to your point by way of, of who's, who's there. Um, and so it, it, yeah, it, the quicker turnaround while a challenge from a training perspective probably actually is why startups can be so successful in the like fail fast or the, the innovate and, and pivot and be responsive to the needs of, of the end customer that much faster. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I've worked in a number of different organizations and um, I think everybody basically gets innovation wrong, but they all do it in their own way. They all get that. They all get it wrong in their own way. And uh, I honestly, and this is not investment advice, uh, as I always say, um, I think these really large insurance companies should solely be trying to innovate by acquisition and, you know, 
mm-hmm. investing in you know venture funds um things like that i just large sort of um well-established businesses there's there's really no good way for them to carve out innovation in a way that doesn't get cannibalized mm-hmm. by engineering or uh gets completely ignored by the business because you know they're not they're not well connected um so just like yeah. don't I don't think it works. Yeah. That the whole bunch of stuff that I could say yeah. there, obviously in my role. Yeah. <laughs> definitely appreciate uh that that viewpoint. Um staying on this topic of of talent and, and employee retention, though, I think um what what is interesting about startups is yes, people turn quickly, but there's usually a whole line of people. Uh, to, to choose from or, or that are interested in applying because of the nature of of startups, right? They're they're nimble, they're quick, they're usually latest technology, they're doing really cool, exciting new things. Um, probably a bit harder to to find that that level of enthusiasm for on the talent side uh, yeah. when, you, when you think about the insurance job, right? And so um, a lot of time I'm thinking about. Um, if you had a new technology or you were doing these these things with an insurance carrier, how do you attract that that newer talent? And um, I'm going to keep picking on it. It's yeah. not by telling them that on day one they're going to be on green screens, right? It's by telling them that on day one they get to there's API connectivity and there's all of these new systems or things that are constantly changing. Um, and so I think a question or uh, not a suggestion because I'm not I'm not an HR person in the insurance space, but just how do you how do insurance carriers highlight? I think they need to highlight the the quote unquote innovative work that they're doing, the partnerships that that they're leveraging, um, acquisitions that they've made that that open them up to to new uh, business lines or new capabilities to to serve their their insurance care, you know customers better. Um, I think sometimes that that is missing um, that. The sense of will people care uh, because it's an insurance thing we're doing, but if it's a new cool insurance thing you're doing, uh, I think people would care. No, uh, I and you talk to a lot of folks on the startup side, you know, and selling into the carrier. So I'd be curious to how do how do carriers talk about what they're doing when when you're chatting with them? Um, I'm usually I'm usually talking to someone who's like a process owner, and mm-hmm. so. Let me try to set up my second thought. My my first thought is they're usually thinking, we know we have to make this much sausage. So can we compress the sausage making time to to right? If you're a hundred thousand workers short and you know a, a solution like Indico plus some process redesign can give you, say, 80% of the job done. When you when you log onto that green screen, 80% of everything's filled out because the AI has just found it for you. Well, now you're only 20,000 workers short, right? Um, if you did that across, okay, all processes, right? Um, that's optimistic. But um, so for the, sake of your, for the sake of your argument, yeah, let's just go with that. Yeah, yeah for the sake of argument. Um, so you can compress that with that that mindset, right? Like, let's streamline the process as much as possible and then AI the things where it makes sense to AI the things um, or automate, you know, with RPA or whatever it is. What I think is lacking is um, 
and this maybe is the next level of thinking um because i've been you know i've been doing automation and artificial intelligence in the enterprise for a long time now um once you have that process then you can start thinking about oh okay now i can really change the process and i think mm -hmm. hr should be thinking about how do we change these roles to make them more interesting and engaging now that it's not just like look at that screen type of thing in look at that screen type of thing in right because now you've now you can hire a data entry worker that can grow into becoming you know the decision maker like why do you have data entry and then underwriting why is that not just one person who has a much more interesting role now and in, as they're growing and you're investing in them to get them to the place where they can be an underwriter they're going to be much more interested in staying longer term because you've invested in them and the role didn't stink day one um yeah so and that's my advice. So that, yeah, that's a great point. And I think uh, harkening back to some of the, the conversations you and I have had on, on previous episodes about um, how data and automation, even if you're automating only a certain part of a process, can enhance the role of, of that human being in the process. And I think um, automating, we've talked about that, that high frequency, low complexity type of submission that comes in of it's pretty standard. Do you really need eyes on it? Probably not. 99% of the time you're going to write it or you're going to bind it. Um, how, how do you create a process? What technology do you bring in? What capabilities to have that be straight through processing so that those underwriters are truly looking at what I'll call the, the unique the exactly. different, the more challenging uh, submissions that come in and probably learning a lot more, right? Because the, Notably, th those those submissions are going to come with a number of key, I'll call it decision tree points or questions that you're going to have to reach out to who that product owner is or who that underwriting manager is. And that's a lot more learning and like new experience and, and engaging, I think, than just, oh, here's here's another very standard risk that I, yes, this checks all the boxes. Like, let me just get through 15 of these, you know, as, as quick as I can. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I don't actually think whatever the projections of the shortages are now, I think they're way overestimates because we're they're having people do the wrong work. Um, and we don't have to anymore. <laughs> like there are there are good solutions for a lot of parts of this problem. And then the parts where there aren't good solutions, that's where like, you know, wet neural networks are the right thing to use. And people are going to want to do those jobs. Yeah. I think too uh, something that that we've seen um, getting back to the techn technological capabilities and improvements that are made is um, solutions that are brought into to supplement or enhance or improve uh, the underwriting process, right? And so we've talked a lot about uh, you know third party data vendors that that provide su supplemental data to what's on a submission either to validate. But there are a lot of cool companies, and I'll. I'll this is a property and casualty example, but there's a lot of companies in SureTax now focused on um, geospatial data. And so that could be for underwriting or, or claims, uh, depending on the use case. But you know, um, some of those platforms are really cool because you get to go in and you get to you know, visually see, think Google Maps, but like much more, much more um, yeah. 
impressive. Right. <laughs> um, you know, you can dig in and understand what is the square footage of this property. Uh, what are the what 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 is surrounding the property that could become a risk if the, if they're in a wildfire zone? Um, what are some of the even like to underwrite this? What what are the risk mitigators that we need to tell them that they need to to apply in order for us to to bind this business? Um, on a claims perspective, um, pre catastrophic event, this is what the map looked like. Post catastrophic event, here's the map. Let's go out. Let's send our claims adjusters to 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 these places first because they were the hardest hit or we know for a fact that, that this property was damaged or not let's reach out to the insured um but on the underwriting side that's really cool because you get to go in and and visually see some of those things the 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 cha the challenge that, that we find sometimes is when you have a lot i'll call it a lot of of these cool solutions or um systems that you're using the integration is a challenge or the, the workflow disruption is a challenge um, because as, as I know, a lot underwriters already have to move through a lot of different systems or screens. And so adding a number of more, what even if that improves the whole process is likely a challenge. So when we're talking to startups, a key question that we have is how do you fit into the existing workflow? Um, because People want to want to work with these cool things, but they're not going to do it if it's a ton of effort for little return. Um, totally. No, we have the same conversations on the Indico yeah. side. I, change management is so hard. It's so hard, and i I know I know a few people are really good at it. Some of them are my colleagues here. Um, but like, I think I think startups have to go in with a view towards not just how do we fit in the process, but how do we do the change management? Like, let's, you don't have to figure all of this out. We will help you. We will partner with you. Here's how other organizations have done it. These are the things that you're going to trip over. Because um, if you just show up with, here's the shiny toy, and we know exactly where it fits in your process, that's a lot, but it's not enough because they still have to change what they're doing and they're going to need help to do it because they, they don't, they don't probably see the end state as clearly as you do with the tool that you've built and all the time you've spent building it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the, the ch well, this, this is getting into a whole different, different topic, but I'll touch on it because maybe, maybe it'll be interesting enough to do something, uh, another podcast another okay. time. But um, there are, there are some capabilities that are on paper, exactly what a company needs, like an underwriter needs, right? Yeah. So when you're selling, it's like, yes, it says, this is something I definitely need. Um the, the thing that that we think about a lot, and I'll, I'll mention it kind of on that geospatial side, just because there's a lot of, of companies out there offering that, is what is the true differentiator? What, what makes your solution so sticky that mm. it won't be, you know, replaced by a, a solution that comes in that maybe has slightly better data or... Um, Basically, that's the question, right? Is is how sticky are you? And and from our perspective, if you can integrate seamlessly into the workflow, if yeah. the value is there, you know, the, we talk about the the KPIs that you have to measure against and and the ROI that you're seeing. Um, but what's you know, if if the solution is we just need data, then chances are if there's better data in in the future, some, you're you're going to get changed. So. Um, 
we think about what are the tools and the capabilities that are strongly strategically relevant and tied to what the underwriter needs. Um, that's simple enough to integrate that it's not a complete, you know, change management exercise. And then what are the, um, the additional benefits that that this system can provide to you over time. So what's the initial value proposition? How can you integrate deeper areas of the workflow over time? Um, and I think, you know, having having a champion in internally that that maybe owns that relationship or owns the the use of that information and can create new processes and can can upsell that internally to the organization. That's the kind of stuff that I think really resonates with people and says, I'm invested in this. And yeah. so I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to stay uh, in this role or in this company because th this this feels like meaningful change or what I'm doing is impacting something. Um, that was a long, windy road to get to a point of um, get, get people to be invested in the work that they're doing uh, to retain yeah. talent. But th there's ways that that bringing in third-party vendors can can help do that, I think. 100%. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everyone wants a better user experience for their job, I think. Um, and and for the you know for the founders out there, for the people trying to sell these products, you have to be, you have to sell at the high level, right? You're selling to the CTO or you're selling to some SVP that reports to them, but also you're selling to the people that are going to use your thing day to day. And you know, there's this phenomenon that happens where you sell a product. CTO gets really excited about it. You install it. And then there's this like this almost immune response to it from the boots on the ground. And they're like, ah, I'm just going to use this workaround. I don't actually need this thing. Um, yeah. You have to be, you have to be very wary of that. Um, Cause you can lose, you'll, you'll turn the customer um, eventually if, if they're allergic to what you sold them. Yeah. And, and that actually touches on, I think a question you asked me in the very first podcast I did with you on, um, the the differences in uh and what we're seeing in the space in terms of entrepreneurs and i think uh that that point that you just made is key is that uh entrepreneurs that come from the insurance industry or that spent time working in these very you know i don't call them niche roles but specifically spent a lot of of their career in underwriting or in claims and yeah. and know not only how to sell to these organizations but but generally know the workflow know where are those points of um, integration that are easy that won't that won't completely change you know a process that's been in existence for for 20 years give or take a few changes um and so being able to sell to that that top tier management level and say that this is why the technology is important and this is the outcome we can sell to you but also this is how we won't disrupt the people that that have to work with us every day i think um yeah you you need to have both of those elements um considered when when you're selling into because to your point um you might say all the right things but if no one's using it yeah. th that contract's not going to be renewed <laughs> oh, for sure. yeah yeah and you're going to be the cto is going to be sad and cfo will be sad and everyone will be sad um something i wanted to ask you when it comes to like the messaging do you see insurtech's like going to market with, hey, you have an underwriting shortage ahead of you, like use our tools to meet that? Or is it, or is there, has the messaging not quite gotten that um, specific yet? No, I, I think, I think we do see it. I think it depends on the solution, right? And, and where, where they're fitting in and what they're trying to do. But mm -hmm. I think 
in this, I'll, I'll bring it back to, to a broader uh, state or more general statement is that in the early days of InsureTech, right, it was, uh, we want to disrupt the insurance industry. We're going to come in and we're going to make everything better. And this is like an old school industry. Or property and casualty insurance. Yeah. And I think um, now, and and honestly, a lot of the, the pushback or the friction was, um, you know, in the insurance industry, to your point, we, there are people that have been in the industry for, for, for decades. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, these large companies, whether it be the insurance carriers, the insurance brokers, value their people and value the talent that they have. And so they're, they're not, um, in most instances, looking for, even if it's an, an efficiency play that their solution that they're looking for, they're not looking to replace huge swaths of people or fire huge swaths of people. They're looking for solutions that will improve the, the day-to-day experience of those. And it, it took basically what we're talking about all day today, enhance their roles and help them grow within the organization, right? To, to grow that talent. And so we have seen companies that understand that and they're they're not, when they come in, they're selling operational efficiency, but they're saying we can improve their work up by X so that they can spend time doing doing why right um and it's not we we can provide you the solution and replace you know 50 percent of your of your call center workforce like that's that's not what we're seeing um that also doesn't land um at least with the the folks that that we talk to um and so the, you are seeing that messaging of we we are providing the solution to to improve the workflow enhance the the output um provide more analytics to make better business decisions by the people that are already doing that today yeah there's some there's some like capacity increase to job satisfaction you know ratio or product that that people should be trying to optimize i think yeah. uh, it was a few years back i was kicking the tires on rpa solutions and one of the big ones i won't say which one of course but one of the big ones said look we're going to be able to let you fire 80% of the people that work on this process and i'm like buddy that that's not why i'm here the process sucks mm-hmm. i want it to not suck I like the people. We need the people. We just need them to yeah. be using this and you know, not this. Um yep. so yeah, I I that I I have seen the same thing in these industries, the the change in messaging and really getting at what people are trying to do. But it's particularly acute in insurance, as in insurance, as you mentioned, because you know, people there are roles where you can stick around for a long time um if you want to. Yeah, and, and what's cool is I mean, be, because of the we, we've talked about underwriting today, but you can spend a, a whole career in insurance as an underwriter for, for a type of insurance product, yeah. right? Like when we say underwriter, like people, people are probably like, oh, like oh, there's all these different things, but you could be a personal lines underwriter for your whole career. You could be a, you know, cyber underwriter for your whole career. And the amount of, of knowledge that you pick up over that time, you become a true expert in, in that, in that product line. Right. And um, sometimes internally to what what's what's happening at just your carrier or broader industry on, on how things are moving and and will go over time. So um there there is a lot of tribal knowledge and a lot of benefit to freeing up people from the mundane so that they can learn from those people that have been in the in that role for so long and um you know just get up that 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 learning curve that much faster. Yeah, no, I, that's a great point. And it, it also creates career optionality too, right? Because you learn all of the lingo and all of the ins and outs as an underwriter. 
And then there are branches you can take into, for example, product design, right? I know folks who have gone yeah. from sort of like the actuarial risk side of things, and then they go to product because you know what? I understand the one side of it. And now that I know that I can design, you know, the right shaped peg to fit that hole that exists in the industry. So insurance is not boring. There are very interesting careers. Um, you know, all of my actuary jokes are about how introverted and shy and boring those folks are, but they're not. They're actually brilliant people. And as I've said many times on this podcast and elsewhere, they're the original data scientists, right? So back to the HR question, if you have a shortage in that role, like talk to the industry about how exciting these things are. And they're going to be even more exciting in the next few years as the extra data sources get added that you're talking about, as you know, AI is just blowing everyone's minds. Like um Top to bottom, insurance is interesting and is going to stay interesting um, for a while. At least that's how I see it anyway. I think so. Yeah. And I think at that, we're going to call this one. Um, this has been another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. Stay tuned for episodes in the future where we talk about claims, um, AI changing everything in insurance and everywhere else. And uh, Michelle and I will be glad to host you and see you there. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automator.